Sitting in today, Chris Alberta. Well, hey there, Michigan. Thanks for having me in on a blistering cold MLK Monday. Dave Rieger and Danielle, how you doing, guys? Hi, buddy. Doing well. How are you? Well, I'm overtired, as I think many of our, our Michigan Detroit Lions faithful are. That was a late, late night, especially for a guy who usually goes to bed at like 830. Well, that game ended, what, at about 11.30 last night? So uh, 11.30, 11.40, clean up the kitchen, you know, stumble yeah. into your bedroom, yeah. fall asleep with dreams of Super Bowls in your mind. Listen, before we get on football, though, let's recognize the obvious today. This is a national holiday in the United States for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And many, a great many people, not us in this, <laughs> this instance, specifically have the day off today to honor the man. And um, what a... What a unbelievable person to look at from a leadership standpoint. Um, he deserves this day, and we should all show some reverence to it. It's, I think, in many ways been rigor cheapened by the idea that it's just a day off. You know, kids don't have school. A lot of folks don't have to work. And so, you know, you play around a little bit. But the reality is what we look at now out the window watching all the news sites and the leadership in this country pales, pales in comparison to the words of that man. You know, I never really looked at it that way, uh, but you're right. Yeah, that makes yeah, that, yeah it makes sense. It's not just a freebie. You know, he was he was shot and killed in I think 1968, 68 or 69. Civil rights leader that you know wasn't wasn't only focused on the black community, but on on men being better men and family leaders being better family leaders and business people doing things the right way. And he spoke with authority and gravitas and and, um, and a nobility that everybody of every of every race and every background should have looked at and respected. And you watch these guys and gals today and speak. I just was listening to a soundbite of, of Kamala Harris talking. And I mean, it, Kamala Harris, I'm not trying to take a, a cheap dig at her, but if she had one fraction of the amount of gravitas and background that he did, she'd be president. All we really want is to follow someone who's worth leading not find reasons to justify the, the fact that we're willing to follow them. It should be, un, it should be a no brainer to say, I'll follow that guy into any battle. Let me be, let him be my leader. And he was that kind of guy. So good for him should celebrate him on his day. Definitely. Uh, you make a lot of good points there. So last night um, after the game, coach Dan Campbell, probably one of the smartest decisions that, Detroit leadership and ownership really has made in the last 2000 years hiring Dan Campbell. Do you ever heard that story when Martha Stewart was interviewing him and she said something to the effect of, he didn't just want to be a coach. He wanted to coach Detroit. I would love for them to release the tape at some point of his interview process with no experience except for filling in here and there in new Orleans. Like I fill in for you guys, him saying, I don't want to be a coach. I want to coach you. I want to coach Detroit because I was here for 0-16, and, and I think I can turn this around. And that speech is was unbelievable last night. Did you see the clip? Yeah, he obviously, he obviously, you know, he showed her something that uh, was different than any of the other candidates that they might have been interviewing uh, for the job. And the, the team of uh, Coach Campbell and the general manager, Brad Holmes, and the way that they have molded this team in the image that they want and the players that they have chosen 
and some pretty good uh, pickups from some trades that they made, especially the Matthew Stafford trade. They got some great players off of that. Uh, seems to be working, and um, you know, I think it's wide open right now in the in the NFC. I mean, after what happened to the Cowboys yesterday with Green Bay, I mean, think about this. Whether or not they're going to play Philadelphia or Tampa Bay on Sunday, I think that they win against either of those teams. If Green Bay goes to San Francisco next week and handles business, can you imagine a potential NFC championship game at Ford Field? Total mayhem. That It would be bedlam in the, in the Motor City. And put, that would be it, so cool in would, many, many ways. I mean, it was put yesterday to shame. Can you imagine the Green Bay Packers being the last stop between you and a Super Bowl? And look, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think the Correct. fun part of that conversation, and look, we have a lot of open time today, especially being MLK Day. There's a lot of a lot of experts and panelists that can't come on the show. I mean, we're going to have some good topics today. Jason Rowe coming on, Evan Brown later on. Talk about swearing in the movies. Like, is there too much swearing in movies and TV these days? You know, I have a very clean mouth, so it's hard for me to imagine the potty mouths that are going to, side against me on this one, but I think it's a conversation worth having. But on the sports note, I, in a later segment, let's get back to how Stafford was treated last night. You and I, I think we should debate this out a little bit for fun. But if, if nothing else, let's give kudos where they're due to the ownership and the management of the Detroit Lions for bringing together a group of young men who are really working their tails off. When he throws a game ball to Brad Holmes, the general manager, not, I think, two or three weeks after throwing a game ball to the punter, this guy knows how to lead men in one direction. And it's fun for us. We put too much emphasis on sports, multi, multi-million dollar, you know, a year athletes and all the celebrity and all the stardom. And sometimes we idolize folks that are, you know, they're throwing a ball, they're kicking a ball, they're tackling somebody else. And we probably should be idolizing the leaders in other ways. But, you know, look, sports is one of the unifiers. It's what you, the first time, when you first call me, every time we're getting together for something, for a show, we always talk about sports, right? True. It's our common I mean, denominator. That's, I mean, let's face it. Being a sports fan or fanatic, the word, you know, the, it's hard. It kind of, I think everybody's Monday today, even, you know, whether it's a holiday or not, I think everybody's, everybody's Monday's better after a win. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 just tough, and especially after a, a, a basically an historic win for the city of Detroit yesterday, which now gives Detroit, thanks to the Green Bay Packers, their first second home playoff game in the in the entire ninety year history of the team. Just poetic, isn't it? Just poetic. You go ahead and beat up on Matt Stafford. You really beat up on Matt Stafford, but you beat Matt Stafford. Oh, you beat they beat yeah. up on Matt Stafford. I mean, he had a bloodied hand. Uh, they, oh. they they knocked him into the tent for a little while. But he, but 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 in true Stafford fashion, he kept on coming back. So we're coming. We'll come back to Stafford. Look after the break. Um, my good pal Jason Rowe, uh, political strategist from our home state of Michigan, is going to come on. I'm going to ask him about Michigan GOP. What he thinks about Iowa. Trump's going after Ramaswamy all of a sudden. You know who might his VP be? I want to know. Let's hear it from the uh, the Rowmeister himself. Back in a quick few minutes. Well, all right, we got quite a bit going on on a frigid, frigid Monday, MLK Day. Our good friend Jason Rowe joins us from Rowe Strategic. So much happening in the world of politics, not only locally, but nationally on Iowa Caucus Day. Jason Rowe, thanks for coming on Rowe Strategic. What's happening, my friend? Hey, only three more months of this great weather. It's lovely, isn't it? 
it is Florida delightful. is looking delicious right now. A if I can, if I can do it, I know you have the capacity to do it. If we can two, fit two questions really into one segment, bring us up to speed. What's happening with the Michigan GOP? Something that you are entrenched in, obviously, with dogs in the race and a better uh, finger on the pulse than most. Uh, Christina Caramo, obviously, this thing's been going back and forth. Bring us up to speed there, and then also talk to us about Trump and Ramaswamy. What's been happening there verbally, and what that really means long term. Well, as it relates to the Michigan GOP, you know, you've got a, a pretty healthy split within the grassroots coalition that took over the party uh, about a year ago. Um, uh, a week ago, Saturday, you had one faction of former Christina Caramo allies who decided that she was not up to the task of running the party. They, uh, you know, looking at the bylaws and the rules, held their own convention and voted overwhelmingly to remove her. Um, then this past Saturday, what remains of Karamo's allies had uh, a separate convention and voted overwhelmingly to keep her. Um, this is not, as she would argue, the deep state or the uniparty that's going after her. This is her allies, her former co-chair, uh, people she put in leader position, leadership positions within the party, who after you know this past year realized that she's not up to the task. So there's a lot of infighting amongst the faction that took over. And it's you know going to be a drag on Republicans up and down the state. We've got a open and very competitive U.S. Senate race, which doesn't happen very often in Michigan. We've got three competitive congressional seats that currently are held by Democrats. They all lean Republican, and Republicans have good candidates in all three. And you've got a, a 54-54 split in the state House of Representatives with nine vulnerable Democrats. So Republicans have you know everything going their way except for the dysfunction of the party. It's now up to the Republican National Committee to decide which of these two factions is the, you know, legitimate uh, chair and leadership of the party. Ideally, they want to get that done by February 1st when they hold their winter meetings in Las Vegas. But they really have to have it figured out by the time the presidential nominating convention happens in Michigan on March 5th. Is there going to be two conventions? Or are there going to be two factions? Or do the remaining presidential candidates compete in both? Did they skip Michigan? So there's a lot of questions to be answered that the RNC would have to deal with. Um, on the question of uh, Trump all of a sudden going after Vivek Ramaswamy, um, you know, frankly, Ramaswamy has performed as an adjunct of the Trump campaign. He has, uh, throughout the campaign, really talked more about what a great president Trump was and, and emulating what he would do than in any way drawing a contrast uh, between himself right. and Trump. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, over the weekend, Trump trained, started training his fire on Ramaswamy. And, and that's largely because, well, Trump has in the Des Moines Register poll that came out Saturday night, that's kind of considered the definitive final poll of the Iowa um, caucuses, has Trump at 48, Haley at 20 and uh, 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 DeSantis at 16. Um, analysts and observers and people that don't like Trump have kind of set up this scenario by which if Trump doesn't get over 50%, that means that more than 50% of caucus goers that braved this winter storm voted against Trump than voted for him. And so sure. I think what the Trump campaign's doing is realizing they can't afford to hemorrhage uh, even a few votes to Ramaswamy. And so by going after him, 
they hopefully push those votes back into the Trump column and put him over 50 percent. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's more of a tactical maneuver to say, look, the closest Trump voter would be a Ramaswamy voter. If we knock them out, we grab that vote. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, the other candidates have, have some turnout problems, um, I think. You know, while Haley has a 20% showing in the poll, that's not really a poll that's representative of caucus goers. And the intensity on her side is only at 39%, whereas Trump's intensity is at 89%. So she could have a turnout problem, and I'm willing to go out and say that she comes in third tonight, that I do think because um, folks that support DeSantis are supporting him because they like DeSantis, and I think folks that are supporting Haley um, were probably piggybacking on that, that period of momentum she had after the debates and thinking she might be the best candidate to defeat Trump. I don't think that's going to come together. Um, the DeSantis campaign has invested millions of dollars in the ground game in Iowa. Um, they've been at it much longer than Haley. And I think DeSantis plays uh, better with Midwestern voters than Haley will. And so I do think DeSantis ends up coming in second, but I still think he's going to be 20 or 30 or even more points uh, behind Trump. That's interesting. Look, as a guy who's been doing this for so, so long, the strategic part of this, building campaigns, kind of being an architect, you use words that many of us haven't heard, like intensity. When you say intensity, that's a measurable you're talking about in terms of the likeliness to show up or the willingness to go out and vote? Exactly. So when when pollsters do that, they ask the voter, like, how committed are you to turn out? You know, are you very committed, somewhat committed? Um, and, And that's you know, reflected, you know, in that number. So Trump voters that combine numbers at 89%. So the folks that responded in that poll that they're Trump supporters are very motivated to turn out, whereas Haley's only at 39. So that's less than half. Jay, that's that's like saying if I'm a, if I'm a Trump voter and it's 40 below, I'm willing to lose my nose, the tip of my nose. But if I'm a DeSantis or or a Haley voter, if I can't find my gloves, I'm not going. (laughs) I think that's a, very good way to characterize it. Hey, what, you know, for, for those of us who don't follow all this uh, that closely, and we, we see this, of course, every cycle, why is Iowa, obviously there's not a lot of electorate that comes out of uh, Iowa, why has Iowa been for so long, this caucus been such a trendsetter for everything else? Is it just because it's the first one and people tend to follow suit? I mean, what's the, what's the myth yeah, of it, Iowa? It, yeah, it, it's tradition. And, uh, you know, there are some folks within the party hierarchies that have tried to maintain, I guess, the order that comes with it. And it's not just some fidelity to Iowa's special place. You know, if you break up the traditional sequence of primary and caucus events, then all the states start start bouncing around and moving theirs. And, you know, we'll start having presidential primaries and caucuses you know, the year after a president gets elected, if you don't maintain some order. So part of it is just trying to keep some order into the process and that we don't lose it. But I mean, I think the reality is, while it is a test of organizational strength. Um, You know, it has not been very predictive. Uh, The last three people to win on the Republican side um, uh, are names that you have never heard the word president in front of. So it has not been very useful in terms of sending the herd or um, choosing somebody. Jason, if you had your druthers, that's an old school word, if you had your druthers, do you like the caucus process better than the primary? 
No, I think it's terrible. Um, I, I listen. It is it is a sideshow. It is not representative of what voters are looking for. Uh, certainly, there is the ability of um, voters to get to meet and know these people, but it's far more activist driven than it is what you know the priorities are of a broader swath of Republican voters. You know, I think New Hampshire's you know a small state in which you get that face to face, that one on one, that personal contact, um, but not the kind of system that really limits to activists uh, making those decisions. So I do think with uh, Michigan's change, driven by the Democrats, um, that you're going to start to see a shakeup in the order. I think Michigan, frankly, is a, far more representative of America uh, in terms of diversity, in terms of some of the aging infrastructure and struggles to develop a new economy when we have you know, what has become increasingly an antiquated uh, manufacturing economy. Um, so I think, you know, in the future, Michigan, I think, is going to play a much bigger role. And I think that's helpful. Right, well, for, we're going to keep uh, an eye on it, see if the uh, the Jason Rowe crystal ball comes true tonight. Jason, thanks for coming on the program, my friend. It's, it's fascinating, as always. You're a incredible information source. Let's hear from you, though. 800-859-0957. Are any of these candidates, one, that you would go out and risk your nose or your fingertips for in 40-degree weather if you didn't uh, know how long that wait was going to be. I'd like to know. We'll get back to Stafford and some Lions and some Elm. Okay, but let's hear from you. Again, 800-859-0957. Take a quick break and right back. Here's today's guest host, Chris Alberta. Man, I don't know about all of you, but I'm not on my second wind. I'm on my fourth wind after a good first win in the playoffs for our Detroit Lions, which we'll come back to in a little bit. Rieger, as we get off the phone with Jason Rowe, you know, it's always so fun to have him on, and I've spent a lot of time with him personally. He, he knows so much about this, this process of getting people elected. So when they talk, you know, he talks about this whole conflict between Trump and Ramaswamy. And you read the news headlines, you know, it's about who said what and why and so on and so forth. But that's really fascinating that, in essence, the pollsters uh, that are working for Trump have figured out that the closest voter to a Trump voter amongst his competitors would be Ramaswamy. I mean, and that's true. He's the only one that really hasn't held Trump liable for some of the January 6th stuff. He's certainly the one that echoes most of the same thoughts on foreign policy and business tax. Some of them are smart. Ramaswamy. Have you watched any of his clips, Rieger, you know, long, the long-form clips of debates and things? He's always very um, bombastic and always has a lot to say, and he's always very fired up, you know, yeah, look, uh, and, 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 and everything that he says. Don't, uh, don't let this audience come across as a slight on him, but he reminds me sometimes of a very, very slick, like, car salesman. He talks so fast. I can see that. I can, I can see a little oh. bit of used car salesman in him. He's, I mean, he's shockingly intelligent. There's no doubt about it. Two people that I know in, in politics, one specifically told me that he might be the most dangerous person that they've ever been around because he can be so convincing and he's so articulate. Like he, in many ways, is a, a smarter, quicker, younger version of Trump in a lot of ways. I mean, the, the way he will sell a point with conviction, it's hard not to be swept up in that. I mean, he's, he's a good looking dude. He's, he, he's bright. He's quick. Right, very hard to get in a position verbally where you're going to outduel him. So it's fascinating that Trump's people might have actually said at this point, look, this is the guy who thinks a lot of the same things we think, 
and the Trump voter that wants a change but still wants a lot of the same efficacy from what happens is, is looking at him. Let's trash him real quick and try to get those those people back in our court. I hadn't really thought of that. Makes sense. So you're saying that uh, people might want him to be like uh, potentially Trump's uh, a VP, maybe? Well, I didn't get we didn't have enough time to ask Jason that question, but I don't know how you if Trump's people have actually actively gone after Ramaswamy now verbally, which certainly is the case. Now it wasn't crazy. It didn't need to go off the deep end or anything, but he, he did, you know, throw some shade, quote unquote shade at him. It, it'd be a little hard to come back and say, hey, will you also be my running mate? Right. I think that he is the nearest competitor to Trump in terms of that likely voter. So they're not going to get the DeSantis person. They're not going to get, in many cases, the Haley voter. But they might get the Ramaswamy voter because they, they are so, there's so much synergy on so many of the issues. So whatever, whatever ratio of the electorate that is, they're trying to knock them out and get you back into Trump's camp to hit that 50% mark. It's fascinating stuff. I mean, the, the game of it, I think, is what is frustrating. Why is it even a game? They all playing. Are they saying things that they don't genuinely mean to try and manipulate the voting public? That's how it feels. Let me get your opinion on something. Um, Ron DeSantis, before the any of the debates started, Ron DeSantis seemed like he was, you know, maybe the closest competitor to uh, to former President Trump. Sure. And then now seeing uh, these multiple debates and how he's performed. I mean, what a, a kind of if you were a DeSantis fan, you got to be like, what what happened? Kind of a letdown. Uh, he didn't seem to really, he didn't perform very well. He didn't seem to come across very good. He didn't seem to come across polished. And no, and, 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 and I'm and I was kind I'm kind of I was kind of surprised. Well, what's the question? The question is your not your thoughts on Ron DeSantis before. The debates began, and now your thoughts on Ron DeSantis now that we've had we've gone through multiple debates. So, look, here's how I see Ron DeSantis. I, Ron is a guy that is famous, if you will, because of COVID, because of his response as a Florida Correct. governor, right. taking a very non-commoditized approach to how to deal with COVID, which in retrospect made him look better, I think, than at the time it turned out. COVID hit Florida later. A lot of developments have been made. He shunned in many ways some of the mandates that other states put in force. And this is what I think a fair person who's not, you know, incredibly on one side or the other would call an infinite regress. You don't know. You don't know how many people would have died. You don't know how effective the vaccine would or wouldn't have been had it been started sooner and so on and so forth. A lot of that is conjecture. And you can have strong opinions about it, as many of the people in my life do. DeSantis came out looking like a star because he bucked a lot of those trends when it turned out that Cuomo and Whitmer and others had buried a lot of the statistics, had people in nursing homes that were dying, and he opened up the beaches and they still had spring break. And he said, look, we kept schools open. We kept businesses going. The economic toll wasn't as bad. A lot of those things turned out to be true, and he looked good for that. I don't know, frankly, that he was ever – he didn't have enough time in my opinion, to be polished as a national presidential candidate. I mean, some of the time he looks genuinely stodgy in these debate settings. I honestly think next to him on a podium, I would win because he's not that good at it. I would agree. It, but that doesn't mean he's and not this is smart. Guy, this, and this is the guy bigger. who's governor of Florida. Right. I, so it's, yeah, not like he has, not, it's not like he hasn't given a speech before. It's not like he hasn't been uh, part of a debate before. It's not like he hasn't gone through this before. 
But get, being elected by popular vote in a state that leans Republican and doing that job is different than debating other people with different ideas on a national stage. He's just not that great at it, right? We just watched Jared Goff. Because Haley's, Haley's been very good. You've got to let me make my example because I'm going to try and two, tie two things together. Okay. We watched Jared Goff last night throw a lot less pretty ball than Matt Stafford. But he won the game. He's a very effective quarterback. He's not as flashy. He's not as showy, right? But he can do the job. Okay. I think DeSantis probably could really do the job fairly well. You got to remember, we're in a political environment now where if you go back three or four elections, you had like a John McCain type running, right? POW, war hero, great unifier, writer of some of the most important bipartisan bills ever. This guy should have been president by almost every measurable metric. He lost to Obama. Correct. Because Obama had no experience, right? Like one-term but, senator, voted president most of the time because he didn't want to take a position. What was he, though? Fantastic behind this, a microphone. This goes back to your uh, your speech that you had when you filled in for Paul W. What, my commencement speech? The commencement. This goes back to the commencement speech. It, it goes also back to the question that you had for Danielle and I back then, which is, did you want, do you want the guy that can get the job done, or do you want the guy that's the that's the flashy Good speaker. Uh, look, all of them. Yeah, most of them could probably get the job done. I mean, there's not a shadow of a doubt that Nikki Haley is the most experienced person on that stage, not only with foreign policy, but with running a very successful state, both economically and jurisdiction, the word, right? The jurisdiction over the legalities of an entire state, sitting over their Congress and their Senate. She's phenomenally talented. You might not like the way she thinks about things, but she's equipped. So is DeSantis, a little bit less experienced. Ramaswamy yeah. comes from the business environment. He's a slick talker, right? Right. Well, that's essentially and, where Trump came from too, right? I know. He came from business, yeah. And people like that. They like the the Washington kind of, you're an outsider. You're not, you know, born and bred in the politics realm, and you're going to shake things up and change. And Ramaswamy might, but, I mean, that's the danger in him too is you just don't know. That's a really cool conversation with Jason. He's so smart that way because he's looking at things not only from the voting angle, but from the from the mind of a pollster. Like, what do we need to do to get these people to flip over to our side? Is that really fair? I don't know. I, fascinating. I mean, yeah, stuff. it is. Look, I want to get we're going to have Evan Brown on in the next segment to talk about this Microsoft report. Microsoft was very, very momentarily. Um, the most valuable company in the world. They had exceeded Apple. And I don't know how long that conversation will be. I still want to hear from callers. You know, we took, we threw that out before 800-859-0957 on this, on this Iowa. If you were in Iowa, would you go out in 40 degrees, you know, sub 40 degrees, sub 30 degrees? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I would. I, I, I don't know that I wouldn't rather see the football game in Kansas city. (laughs) I would agree with you on that one. Right. I mean, even the people that braved downtown Detroit last night, as packed as 66,000 and change in there last night, you know you didn't get a close parking spot unless you're a VIP. So you probably had to walk through some brutal weather. Uh, and, I'm, I'm, sure they would, uh, I'm sure they would do that every Sunday forever. If it was playoffs? Heck yeah. How, did, how would you not do that? I mean, we're going to have another one in a week. We'll see. Maybe the, maybe the temperatures will warm up just slightly. Listen, let's check in with Evan Brown and find out about this whole Microsoft story, and then we'll go back to the phones after. Hold on just for a few. Don't go anywhere. All right. If you like big numbers, this segment is for you. Just keep in mind that a trillion is a thousand 
billions, a thousand billions. You'd have to stack hundred dollar bills on top of each other flat for about 26 miles into outer space to have your first $1 trillion. And Microsoft's market cap hit 2.89 trillion just a few days ago, as it at least temporarily overtook Apple as the world's most valuable company. It's a kind of a fascinating story. How did they get there? Will it stay that way? And does it matter to any of us really? Those numbers are too big to comprehend. Eben Brown joins us, Fox News correspondent and WJR contributor. Hi, Eben, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Listen, what is the actual story here, apart from a rich company getting slightly richer for a minute? <laughs> so uh, n- normally Apple enjoys the uh, the prestige of, of being the, uh, uh, the, the most valued company. And uh, f- come Friday afternoon, they weren't. Uh, and it was Microsoft. Um, Microsoft out, uh, out-earned them, or I guess it was out-valuing them by about four-tenths of a percent or or excuse me, four-fifths of a percentage point, which doesn't seem like much, but we are talking about the difference between $2.87 trillion and $2.89 trillion or something like that. Uh, not too shabby either way. I would settle for second place personally if it were me, but uh, but obviously uh, for um, uh, for these companies, they, uh, they fight for this kind of stuff. And uh, the big question, of course, or there's two, two big questions. One, Will this endure? For instance, will Microsoft now be uh, leading Apple in terms of its valuation, uh, or does Apple reclaim that position when trading resumes tomorrow? There's no trading today because of the Martin Luther King uh, holiday. Um, or, or is it indicative of something else? I mean, is Apple losing its footing here? And there are reasons to believe that Apple has been faltering. Apple's iPhone sales have been lacking. iPhone's um, uh, Apple Watch issues with regard to a uh, uh, a patent infringement claim against them, which forced them to pull uh, some of the Apple Watches off the shelves uh, right before the new year. Uh, this all may be affecting them. Plus, Microsoft has been going full on head on into AI research, something that Apple hasn't really been doing. And, and you know, the, the, the new thing always gets stock traders uh, interested. So, so um, AI is exactly. supposed to be the next the next wave for tech. Yeah, the next the next thing that could be that could be making you rich, maybe. Um, so uh, therefore, uh, you know, the traders are heavily interested in it, and and uh, they're enthused by what Microsoft has been doing. Apple hasn't really been following through on that. So uh, between that and and of course the iPhone sale issues and the and the Apple Watch issues, it may it may be causing uh, stock owners to sell and and sell at a lower price than what they'd want to, and that that causes some loss. Uh, how long lived will it be? We really don't know. Yeah, Evan, the the Apple thing is interesting because we, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, aloud to myself, I wonder what percentage of their business, the, the phones specifically, and the watches too, I think are an extension of the phones are. I mean, Microsoft is, is very much still a software company and they power most of the computers. True. We all hear of the Dells and the HPs where Apple's computers are just Apple computers. Do you, do you happen to know what kind of ratio that is? In terms of I, I Apple's competitiveness, I don't know the ratio, but I can tell you that Apple relies solely or, or relies heavily on sales of uh, of its mobile tech, namely the iPhone. Uh, and there's a reason why they come out with a new iPhone every year. It's in hopes that uh, you will uh, think that your iPhone that you have is getting old and not working as well, and therefore you'd be willing to buy another one. Either you you pay for one out front or uh, through your provider, you buy one on some kind of purchase plan, like so many people do. 
where mm-hmm. they uh, they they spread the payments out over two years. Uh, you know, and then of course, you know, after you you're done paying off your phone through that plan for two years, then you your phone bill goes down, and then you you think your battery doesn't charge or hold the charge as much. Oh, I'll get another phone, and then you're back to paying the higher price per month on your phone plan. Um, I'm guessing with the uh, the economy being the way that it is right now, and gas and and eggs being so expensive and whatnot, uh, that people are going well. You know, yeah, the phone doesn't hold as much of a charge these days, but I'm enjoying that thirty dollar or sixty dollar less dollars a month uh, on the phone bill, uh, and uh, I'm not going to buy that new iPhone, especially because that new iPhone. Well, it kind of has the same camera as my old iPhone. It doesn't have more storage. You know, maybe the phone is a micron bigger in terms of its screen size, but really, you know, I'll put up with the having to charge it more often just to save, you know, 30 or 60 bucks, you know, depending on how many people are in your family and how many phones you're paying for. Um, you know, it keeps your 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 price per month lower on uh, on your phone costs. And, and phones yeah, are but it, may be, it may be anecdotal, but throw this around with me for a minute because you're a sure. smart guy and you have your finger on the pulse. You know, years ago, I remember talking to an IT guy and telling him I wanted to do another Apple for the office. And he said, why do you like Apple so much? I said, well, you know, I just have had way less virus problems. They seem less susceptible to the virus issues. And he said, well, it's not because they're less susceptible as a, as a mechanism. It's because people writing viruses want the, the, the biggest spread they can possibly get. That's how they get their kicks, so to speak. Yeah. But if you're going to write virus code, you want to write virus code for the majority of computer owners, not for the fraction. And Apple computers are a fraction of what Microsoft-based Correct. You know, computers and are. It- when we look at this AI thing, if AI is the catalyst for all of this growth, is it just the case that most AI programmers are writing AI programs that are usable on Microsoft and not really for Apple? No, I, I think, you know, with um, with regard to AI, it's going to be, you know, a lot of it is platform independent or platform agnostic, whatever the phrase is, uh, that you're able to access the AI apps uh, it doesn't matter what platform you're really using. AI itself is doing its own work elsewhere. It's not on your computer. It's not on your phone. It's something that you you access through your phone, you know, via the internet or through your computer via the internet. With regard to the virus thing, um, you know, I, I would say that yes, what what you've said is true. That because more of the world is using uh, Windows uh, computers, that uh, the the hackers, the virus makers, they're going to target that more often. Uh, than anything else because it's just more susceptible and you're casting a wider net. Um, With regard to Apple being more secure, I I believe there's some truth to that. Apple very much likes to keep its own ecosystem. It wants people to use only certain apps and and certain technology. It's not like the PC platform where people, you know, there are PC clones out there. You know, we used to call them IBM compatible, if you remember, way, way back when. Um, uh, IBM doesn't really make that many computers anymore. A few few people buy them from IBM, uh, for that matter, right? You know, as you mentioned, the names Dell and Gateway and, and HP, um, but they were always referred to as IBM compatible. And and so, uh, uh, you, you, with that the, that type of computing allowed for more third and fourth and fifth and tenth party uh, people to either create hardware or software for it. Uh, where with Apple, it's it's a much more enclosed ecosystem, and and therefore it's a bit more impenetrable. Yeah. Not not yeah. solely, uh, you know, impenetrable or or or, you know, foolproof entirely, but uh, a little bit harder. 
Yeah, that's interesting stuff. Like as we're as we're sitting here talking, Microsoft is trading around three eighty eight and change per share. Apple is trading at one eighty five. I wonder if, from a consumer standpoint, from an average Joe standpoint, not from an institutional standpoint, if the Microsoft stock is looking better, at least temporarily, because of their embracing of the AI and kind of looking at that as the next wave. And Apple's also having legal problems with China, and the fifteen's not selling like they thought it would. The watch has been problematic. You know, even the the higher stock price, is there a barrier of entry for the average Joe to be invested in Microsoft? That's made a lot of very, very rich. Both of them have made very, very rich people. Yeah. In well, the that, last that's 20 a good years. question. You know, I, I and I really I, I'm not the expert stock trader. I can tell you that there are, you know, different levels of stock that people can buy into. I obviously got to talk to an, a financial advisor and a, and a broker and whatnot. Um, you know, in, in terms of the, the average person buying Microsoft, I mean, I, I guess it's possible. It depends on how much you want to spend. Evan, if you ever want to go in together, we could split that $290 trillion. Let me get my checkbook out. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, as always. All right, back after the, the halfway break, and we'll have a good conversation. Maybe get back into Matt Stafford, Rieger. See you in just a few. Sitting in today, Chris Alberta. All right, Rieger, let's get back into this Lions thing just for a minute. Lomas is going to come on, Lomas Brown, nasty number 75, talk to us about what the environment was like last night, what he sees going forward in the next weekend. I just had a legitimate sneezing attack, by the way, in the background. I, I successfully hit the mute button a few times, which is like the cough button in the digital era. But I'm not sure that I'm not going to sneeze some more. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's environmental. What do you think? I mean, about... listen, the Danielle goes through the same thing. So it, it happens. She goes through the, the, the sneezing fits. Do I? You do. Why are we talking about this? He mentioned I mean, it. Why? So, you know, he brought it up. <laughs> you know? Look, this this headline, multiple headlines about Matt Stafford being salty after the game. You know, he, he a week and a half ago, a week ago, he said, look, I know I'm enemy number one coming in here and they're going to boo me. You know, they should. It's a professional football. The guy spent a dozen years here and he this is the same guy that got up with cracked ribs and a busted shoulder and won games in the last minute. He was the face of this franchise for a long, long time. And Rieger, I was a Stafford defender. I loved being his fan. And I was one of the same people that watched a lot of Rams games last year and celebrated for him slash with him when he won his Super Bowl. I was happy for him last night to have the reporters post game, ask him in the press conference, referring specifically to the city, not the team of Detroit. What do you, you know, like, how do you feel now about the city? Do you, is this good for the city? So on and so forth. And he says, I feel happy for the players. It seemed to me petulant and small and an odd response from a guy who's smart. People used to criticize him, Dave, all the time for not being really good with the media. He was kind of on the quiet side. He was never a huge rah-rah guy. That response was very purposeful. He knows exactly what he said, basically saying, I don't care. 
I don't care that it's good for the city. I don't care that the state of Michigan hasn't had a, a championship in 31 years or a playoff win in 31 years, but I am happy for the guys on the other side. He shouldn't be happy for the guys. He was competing against them. You, a guy in his position could easily say, look, they had it coming. They deserve it. They deserve to celebrate. They deserve to have fun. Thanks to all those millions of people who put a, uh, uh, a Detroit Rams shirt on or whatever it was a couple of years ago when he won that Super Bowl. Thanks for following me on Twitter and looking at my Facebook and celebrating with me when I finally had some success after years of dysfunction in Detroit with bad ownership, bad leadership, bad coaching. I think it's much to do about nothing personally. I think people are blowing it way out of proportion and making such a big deal about it. And not, and not to mention the fact also this uh, notion that we does that the city of Detroit deserves this. It's nice that it happened, but but nobody, no city deserves anything in sports. If it happens, it happens. But I don't oh, know about this. I don't about deserve. I don't know about deserving. Fine, take the word deserve out and swap it with overdue for some success. Overdue, Look, if you're overdue spend, for six, overdue for success. Yes, I would agree with that. I don't. Nothing is nothing. Nothing deserved. I think you're I think you're off your rocker. When you when you talk about people for 20, 30 years watching Thanksgiving games, Sunday afternoon games with abject dysfunction, with coaches who don't deserve to be there, with a pencil sticking out of your big fat ear while you don't know what you're doing. He might be back next week. <laughs> owner, you know, ownership that's not paying attention to the actual needs of the team. We this was something I think Detroiters, Michiganders in general do deserve to yeah. see a high functioning program with an upward trajectory players that are, are more interested in winning than posting something that's going to go, you know, viral on Instagram or something goofy or their next big contract. This is a cool thing. It doesn't take a big man. It takes a medium sized man to say, you know what? Good for them. We played our butts off and they still beat us. It's a heck of a program they're building. It was a tough matchup for us. And I'm glad to see you guys. celebrate. I had no problem with what, with what Stafford said. I had no issue with what Matt Stafford said at all. He was happy. He was happy for the players. Um, he, you know, he came. He played here for all these years, and uh, he just they didn't win any playoff games. But he did. He has the, you know, the he compiled a lot of great stats, and he tried. And then he said it's time, and he got shipped off to a different team, and they got they happened to uh, you know had the right. Place Pete players in place, know. and they won a the Super Bowl. But I don't That's think true. that he doesn't. He doesn't. What does he owe? What does he owe the the, the city? He owes him to say, "I'm I'm happy respect. for you. Does you deserve it?" No respect. That's what he owes him. He owes him respect because if you're going to get paid thirty, forty million dollars a year for for a decade plus, much of which comes from ticket sales from the faithful here, much of which come from TV rights because everyone tunes in and the advertisers all care and the people are going to chant your name and they're going to root for you and they're going to defend you on your bad days. How many games did Stafford had, did he have in those 10, 12 years where he played one half of the game, like a blind guy stumbling through and then the other half, like an absolute superstar and would bring them back from the depths of despair and either get close to winning or win. I love the guy. I thought he was fabulous. I played golf tournaments. You can still, you can still love him. You can still. Love I, him. I do love him. I'm just disappointed because I think when at that age, when you're in your I mid think to they, late thirties, blown away out of proportion. I, I, I think don't. people in Detroit are blowing away out of proportion. Enjoy the win. Enjoy that 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 you slayed the dragon. You got the play, the first playoff win in, in 32 years. But 
don't get upset because Matt Stafford said uh, is it, it didn't say he's happy for you. Do we think that he was salty at the fans, though, for booing him for half the game? No. He should have expected it. Of he course. Said his, he said as much prior. I'm the bad guy coming in. I get it. That's what this league is all about. He's a grown man who's worth $140 million, much of which was put in his pocket by this city, who loved him despite the losing record. It wouldn't have taken a whole lot to say, you know what? I'm happy for you guys. I hope you get the most out of it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you go far in this process. This is something he's trained to do. Mm, not trained very well, apparently. I don't. I I think that people, everybody's blowing it way out of proportion. Rigor, even a, even a broken clock is right twice a day, but you've been wrong three times today. Here's here's <laughs> what I want to say. I don't watch football on the regular. I'm not. I was. I'm not interested most of the time. I watched the whole entire game because I knew he was going to be here. And then for him to just snuff us at the end, all right. Well, I wish I wouldn't have watched the whole game because you were mean. Yeah, Danielle, you tell him, Tiger. My Listen, my 25-year-old daughter, Lex, said the same thing. First of all, halfway through the game, she says, he's still as handsome as ever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you shush over there. I don't, I don't need that kind of commentary out of you. But then after the game, she was a little disappointed, which and I'm glad. I'm, I feel proud of her. Uh, Rieger, uh, you need to come. Please, you guys are just listen. Enjoy the win. Now listen. Oh my God, <laughs> Matt Stafford didn't say that he's so happy for the city of Detroit. Who cares? I'm allowed Does to anybody do anybody care that what Matt Stafford has to, what he thinks, or what he's, or what he has to say? Yes. He's in L.A. now. What does it matter? We do care because he was Why? a big part of our life for a long time. So we do care what he has to say. Rieger, it take a lesson in loyalty. I'm turning doesn't like matter anymore. Danielle, do you have anything you can throw at him? I mean, he's three feet away. Um, I'm I. Well, uh, trust me, you don't want. The, trust me, she might take out uh, one of the the windows here. No, no, no. I, I got great the, aim. Yeah. I got great aim, like Matthew Stafford. I'm throwing darts, baby. He can throw darts. He just needs to learn how to be thankful. Listen, was as we as we get ready for this next statement or this segment, we have a, an expert coming on and etiquette. And here's the question of the day: as we watch today's tvs and movies streaming you're on amazon you're on hulu you go to the movie theater so on and so forth is there too much just really bad language is there too much swearing and cussing in almost all of these shows to the point where we've been desensitized yes or no depends i mean it depends it's 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 today's society i think that it 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 is the is the shock and the they they put it they put it in there and I don't necessarily get offended by it like uh, like some people might. Danielle, do you get offended by it? No, but other people right. do. Let's see what the <laughs> let's see what the etiquette. And listen, if I start swearing on the radio, and I'm not that good of a swearer anyway, I'm kind of a a, a juvenile. I'm a rookie when it comes to cussing. I occasionally, when I get really mad, I cuss about something. I feel proud of myself. Like, wow, that came out exactly the way I should. But that just shows you I'm an amateur. All right, back after the break with uh, Jan Goss. Let's talk about cussing in movies. All right, well, welcome back into the program. Look, it's it, we've gone back and forth, Rieger, you and I, on movies, and we have you know Movie Friday where we do some reviews. One of the things that has driven me crazy uh, in the last decade or so, but it's getting worse, at, at least at my hunch is that it's getting worse, is some of what we're watching, there is so much profanity, especially the F word. 
And I've seen various reports now, an article just recently that we're looking into that has showed that some of the streaming services that don't have the limitations of FCC rules have not had to clean some of these things up, but a lot of them can't be reproduced the same way. So it's a fascinating topic in general, like how far are we sliding down the the, the slide, so to speak, of just getting just too dirty all the time. And is this how people actually talk? Is it effective? We're going to have uh, an expert on. Jan Goss joins us. She's a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and an etiquette expert. Jan, thanks for coming on the program. My my pleasure. Listen, it's time to turn this turn this around. All right, Jan, is it just me or some of the modern shows, not only movies, but shows now that are available on these streaming services, which are not adhering to the same rules, are they just filled with more profanity than they ever have been in the past? They absolutely are. Yes. Statistically, it's proven that we have more curse words in shows now than we ever have. We're heading in the wrong direction. Is it, isn't the Hollywood crowd, let's call it the production crowd there in, in Hollywood, aren't they aware of the fact that there must be some kind of metric for this? I mean, they're putting these words, the writers are writing these words in, and to some degree, it turns people off. Even people who don't mind, you know, the occasional cuss word. I'm a PG-13 kind of guy myself, but sometimes there's so many of them. You actually roll your eyes and go, good grief, I'm going to find something else. This is getting stupid. Exactly. It's a slippery slope. It's like they, they just got started on this and can't slow down. What What are some of the worst offenders? Is there a specific genre that tends to just have more? I mean, oftentimes we see the very gratuitous violence in some of the shows mm-hmm. almost swaps mm-hmm. itself out for the profanity to keep a certain kind of rating. Is there any particular genre that's getting is the worst now of all of them? You know, I am not a huge movie buff, so I honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. What I do know is that what happens within our homes is where we need to start to do something about this. When you say in the home, you're talking as a parent. I know you're a self-proclaimed greatest mom in the world. (laughs) Well, my kids say that. That's not just self. No, my, my three children. They, they I, gave me that title. <laughs> one of the things I think is fascinating about this is that often when you watch these shows and movies, I think to myself, people don't actually talk this way. It's rather ineffective. I think in, in real life, if you hear someone in normal conversation use the F word multiple times in a, in a sentence, I often think to myself, that is an uneducated or insensitive person. From an etiquette yeah. standpoint, isn't that basically the case? I mean, how do you look at it from... If you teach etiquette, what does cursing, mm-hmm. cussing, swearing mean to you? Well, it is a lack of vocabulary choice for sure. I think you can upgrade your vocabulary and certainly in business and in professional business etiquette, swearing is never allowed. We were taught at the Protocol School of Washington that you find better choices you find a more intelligent way to express yourself than lowering your standards to curse words. Never should it happen in business, but it does. Hmm. And so if we take the the worst offenders out, for example, the S word and the F word, have you seen 
over the years, words that used to be rather taboo, like, a, you know, the word suck, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. is something in my mm-hmm. household when I grew up, I, we were never allowed to say that. Now that's very, very common vocabulary, even for young kids. Right. Even when just kind right. of get rolls with the punches, it's not offensive anymore. What, how has that happened? Well, I think it's a frog in a boiling pot kind of thing, you know, that we just get accustomed to it. It becomes a norm. These are how social norms change is many times that we're overstimulated by things so that when you get back to just little curse words, then it feels very normal. Yeah. All right. I can see that. And I guess from a kid's standpoint, and I shouldn't maybe say kids, but adolescents and teens who go to these movies, the PG-13 movies, even the rated R movies, as so many of them are now, even the, the big blockbuster types tend to be at least mm-hmm. PG-13 because most of them mm-hmm. are filled with some, some things that get, you know, garner that rating is, is, you know, I'm going to say Hollywood. I know it's not just Hollywood, but is the Hollywood environment actually making this worse in, in, in a permissible sense because there's so much of it that the kids are constantly hearing this and that becomes part of their vocabulary too that's what's cool that's what the superhero says that's what the you know sure. the vengeful you know cowboy says when he finally gets you know <laughs> takes out the bad guy on behalf of the town that whatever it might be i wonder if if we're imitating art too much and art really needs to imitate our lives more Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that hinge kind of swings both ways, but there's definitely responsibility in terms of Hollywood. They're, they are pushing their social norms and what feels normal to them. I, you know, I, I listened to what you said about people don't really talk that way, but you know what? There are whole groups of people that do talk that way. And it's just that if you don't hang around them, you it, it seems like a very foreign thing. But being in the business sector and being in the business sector sort of all over the country, I hear things that it, it's stunning. It's stunning what, what I hear go on in boardrooms around, you know, in professional settings. So I do think things are very different than they were even 20 years ago. Yeah. And on that note, how long ago do you estimate it was when these words started becoming more acceptable? And what was the tipping point where you just heard more and more of it and less people were offended enough to turn that show Mm -hmm. or that movie off? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly, you know, with the streaming of different uh, movie, we have so many choices now of what streams into our homes. And again, the more that you're around it, it just feels, it normalizes it. Sure. Does the FCC have any intention or desire to start to create mandates in in these protocols for how much swearing is too much in the streaming world, or they just have absolutely no jurisdiction there whatsoever? And if they don't, would anybody ever, I mean, when do you set a limit? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that is not my area of expertise, but my understanding is FCC does not have jurisdiction over these streaming uh, platforms. And so that's why they can basically say whatever they want to as many times as they want or show as much skin or body parts uh, as often as they choose. Yeah. So well, this Jan, is unregulated a... humanity. <laughs> it's like yeah. We have to get back it to being a decent note, human. Right? 
Yes, we do. Jan Goss, thanks for joining the program today. We, we appreciate your expertise. Rieger, I think My you pleasure. and I have a couple thoughts on this too. Um, you know, look, as we, as we continue watching these things, we become desensitized, right? I mean, consistently desensitized. I watched a movie not that long ago with my wife just kind of laying in bed and thought, well, let's both find a movie. And there were so many efforts in the first 15 or 20 minutes that it seemed stupid to me. It actually seemed haphazard in its approach. Like, who could have possibly written this movie thinking that this is the way people talk? You know, I'm sure you've had that. Yeah, you know, it's um, I can remember, you know, I would say this probably changed. I would say probably maybe the 90s, the early 90s, I would say is when I think that obviously streaming services are something that's within the past, uh, you know, five to seven years. But I would say back in the 90s, movies themselves, because if you remember, they came up with uh, it wasn't only rated R, it was NC-17. And and then they had, you know, uh, and so I think they were trying to push the limits at that point. And I think with movies, you know, the FCC and the, the the people that make the ratings for the movies, they had a little bit of power with that. But uh, you're right with with streaming. It's anything goes. And I think even network television to a to a point has even tried to push the limits. So I think it's yeah, just. Let's I think let's, it's, let's hear from the people on this. This is a good one. A, you know, a call or a text would be great. 800-859-0957. If you feel like there's way too much cussing in today's media, give us a shout. What does that mean to you when you hear someone say that many bad words in a row? All right, back after the break. Here's today's guest host, Chris Alberta. All right. No Redwick for you guys today. It's all Alberta for these two hours, and we've been having fun. It, this has kind of turned into a little bit of a sports talk radio show today and good for that i could tell you Rieger, one of my best decisions in my 47 point something years on this planet was giving up my tickets last night and instead of trying to decide which son to take with me or my wife sitting home with 11 people in my living room and watching that game because we had an absolute ball but i want to know from nasty number 75 lomas brown what did it feel like in there buddy how electric was it Oh, my goodness. It was unbelievable inside there, man. I mean, you had the fans. They were wired up. <laughs> they were wired up uh, hours before the game started, man. And it, it, it was just an atmosphere that I hadn't been part of. Uh, man, they greeted the players, especially Jared. They let him feel the love. And, of course, they made Matthew feel uncomfortable. But it was a great atmosphere the celebrities was out. It was a great game. Yeah, listen, I, I can't remember the last time as a as a fan I watched a game, especially with my team, you know, involved, where the level of the quarterback play, especially for most of the game, was that special. I mean, there was very few incompletions. It was clean. There wasn't a lot of penalties. What a phenomenal football game for an onlooker. It really was. It really was for the fans, for the nation to get a chance to really see our team and see how we execute on offense. Uh, It probably was the first time for a lot of people seeing that Detroit Lions team, and they know how gritty we are. I think the most impressive thing to me besides the quarterbacks was our offensive line, man. They dominated the line of scrimmage against a very good defensive line. And I think that's what helped Jared more than anything else, the protection he got, 
and they were able to run the ball when they had to run it. They didn't have a lot of rush yardage, I think of 89, but they were able to run it when they needed to to have effective runs. And they really, I think the runs that they did have, I think it really affected the Rams in the pass game, and it really, really helped Jared out. Yeah, Lomas, in a in a league like the NFL, which has a salary cap, you're gonna if you overinvest or even invest with equity in some area, you're gonna have deficits in other areas. And we've seen our Lions now three or four weeks in a row give up three hundred to four hundred yards of passing. But they've still won these games. And it, it it looks to me, tell me if I'm wrong about this, it looks to me like there's this kind of I hate to use the cliche bend but don't break. They're giving up a lot of yards through the air. But because our linebackers are so good at tackling, once they get in the red zone, we've stymied these teams a lot. Is that part of the mentality? Like, fine, our secondary is not the best in the world. You can throw it all over the place, but we're still going to put up more points than you. Is that a thing? Yeah, I mean, at this point, you pretty much have to do whatever it takes to win a game. And like you stated, think about the last few games, Minnesota, the last game, we've had guys that have really had big games against us, Justin Jefferson and on and on and on. So you, you're right. I think they're taking that bend but don't break because they know that in certain areas in our backfield we're a little deficient in there or we have young guys back there. And at this time of the year, you can really try to exploit a young guy that doesn't have a lot of experience. So, yeah, I like the approach Aaron Glenn took because think about it. They were moving the ball all up and down the field. Um, I'm sorry. They were uh, they were moving the ball up, up and down the field the first half. But you think about that second half, man, other than Puka Nakua, oh, my goodness, that dude is a stud. Other than him, I thought we did very well kind of slowing them down and really, like you say, keeping them out the end zone. Yeah, can we get that Nakua guy on our team? Can we just say this? Ooh, grief. That kid is special and yeah. special and special. Listen, who do you want? You're going to watch tonight, I'm sure. I'm going to watch until I fall asleep because now I'm so hungover from last night that it doesn't make a difference anymore. <laughs> <laughs> who do you want? You want the Bucks or you want the Eagles to come in next week? Man, you know, I'd rather have the Bucks because we have played them this year. You know, it's a little familiarity with them. We beat them this year. So you're going with the utmost confidence that you can do it again, even though I know that's a totally different team. But I would rather have them. I just think Philadelphia, if they win tonight, I think their confidence level just jumps to a whole nother level. They get that belief that, hey, this is the Super Bowl team from last year, even though they didn't, they haven't looked that way most of the season. You just, And, of course, a running quarterback, mobile quarterbacks, kind of kryptonite. So I would rather see Tampa Bay than to see the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm with you, bud. Listen, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You're not, you're not quite 60 years old yet, right? But you're getting up there. You've been around for a minute. Yeah, I hit the big six old this year. I was trying to make everyone think you were 59, man. I'm on your side oh, here, bud. All right. No. You no actually, everyone needs a win, man. Yeah, we flipped another year. I forgot. So I'll be the big <laughs> six one um, in a few months. Wow. Okay, but go ahead. I digress. You you look 45. Look, (laughs) do you remember a season like this where you had so many very talented teams, the Lions included in that, who at one point only had a a loss or two, 
Well, we saw it with the Chiefs. Then we saw it with the Eagles, who were 10-1 and one at one point. A lot of these teams that were on a roll hit a rough patch, and sometimes the rough patch looked ridiculous. Like, wow, what's what's wrong with you guys? You got an eye closed? Did you break a leg? There's only yeah, really a couple of teams that are, and this is not like the old days where somebody was, you know, 15 and one or something until the end. Is that, right. does that speak to the parity in the league or does it just an anomaly of a season where so many of them at one point or another looked like they were turned around backwards? I, I think it's the parity of the league. Cause think about this. I, like I said, we need to take advantage of everything. And as far as this team that's going to go this year, because think about it, man, our division probably going to be one of the toughest divisions in the NFL next year with what's happening in Chicago by the time they get through with these two picks. And you see what Jordan Love is doing right now in Green Bay. They get, I'm sorry, if Minnesota gets a healthy Kirk Cousins back, they're going to be a threat. So I just think it's parity in this league. You got a lot of talent coming in this league, especially at the quarterback position. Um, and I, I just think the teams are closer probably than they've been in a, either ever or in a long, long, long time. So I see this continuing for a while. I think, like I said, we need to take advantage of everything we can this year. Even though I think our window might be open for the next three, four years, you've got to take advantage of now, the now. And that's what the Lions seem to be doing. Yeah, and Laporta looks like he, if, if he gets better over the next, he was fine last oh, night. Oh, God, right? man. I mean, what a stud that guy is. Oh, my God. And to be young. And, and the thing that, that tripped me out about it was I thought I would see a limp. I thought he would be kind of limited. And, man, Sam looked just as good, like nothing ever happened to that knee, man. So to be young and to heal like that, that's nice. That's nice. All right. Well, I'm not going to get into Stafford with you. I'd like to, but I'm not going to. I'm resisting the temptation to show my maturity level here on the radio. Look, the coolest moment, we got we to gotta close it out, but the coolest moment that I saw last night in the postgame was Dan Campbell throwing a game ball to Brad Holmes and the real emotion that came out of him. How cohesive is that group of dudes right now? Man, they on the same page. They singing from the same sheet of music right now. And you know what? It's sweet music. Sweet music. Oh, yeah. Lomas, you are the man. You get this, the sweet voice of Lomas Brown. Thanks, bud. <laughs> Listen, hopefully we can get you next week. Okay, let's go Lions. Another Absolutely. game coming up in six days. Good stuff. Hang tight, everybody. Back in just a few to close it out for the day. Well, Rieger, Danielle, we thought we were going to have kind of a quiet show today here on MLK Day, honoring the man. And we know that uh, the listenership isn't at its peak. A lot of people are just hanging out for the day, trying to stay warm, shivering in the Iowa caucuses. We had a lot of fun today, though. Turned it into a, a bit of a football show. Lomas just joined us. Lomas Brown, nasty number 75 from Detroit. And there's a lot of opinions out there. I still vehemently disagree with Dave Rieger, who I think must be on peyote or something. I don't know what he's talking about. And I'm happy to hear from everybody who disagrees with me on that, 800-859-0957, as we just are on the five-yard line here in our, our pseudo-football show today. But let's go out to the phones. Line, 
Line one out uh, in Detroit, Dave. What's going on, Dave? How do, what do you think about all the cussing on TV? Well, uh, and the movies, too, and everything. Uh, I'd I just like to say that I think we're looking at it at the wrong way. It's more of a, it's more of a political ideology, in a way, because you have, you know, look at all the, the way movies have changed. You never get to see a, a, a decent, just loving movie unless it comes from overseas or something. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it gets to the point where it's ridiculous. You know, and it's a it's a political movement. Uh, look at all the other things that Hollywood has done and what they stand for. You know, we know what they stand for. You don't have to go through all that. It's a leftist thinking. I just think it's a political movement. That what else could it be? You know, I don't know, Dave. That's an interesting take. So let me ask you this: Do you think that if you refer to it as a leftist movement, and I'm not saying that you're wrong, I'm just I'm I'm an inquiring minds want to know. Do you think that the, the average Democrat or the average leftist cusses or squares more than the average Republican or the average rightist? Uh, I would say the uninformed do, and I would, and my personal opinion is that Democrats are uninformed. You know, I, I would say yes, I'd agree with that, just a little bit, certainly. Well, I think and the interesting thing that I'm gleaning is that if you look at pop culture movement when it comes to everything whether it comes to income inequality whether it comes to race so on and so forth or whether you get into the areas that are more uh, susceptible to the manipulation of the adolescence if you're including more really bad language and you want those people to kind of come up under your wing and you're the leftist i can kind of buy that to a degree but i don't know i know a lot of people on the right who have filthy mouths including a lot of my very good friends. And I think, geez, Louise, why do you use, use the F word so much? So I don't know. I, I, interesting take, Dave. We'll take it. Hey, why is everyone, Dave Rieger, we got Dave from Detroit. We got Dave from Rochester. Last time I was on, we had three Daves. What is it with Daves in, in on WJR? Very popular name, apparently. Huh. All right, fine. Listen, Dave from Rochester. You agree with Rieger on this? I thought you were my uh, guy, man. Every you call a hundred percent, a thousand percent, a million. I hope percent. you are ready to tumble over this one. Let's go. Why, why do you? Yeah, you don't think go. Stafford owes yeah. it to everybody First to be all, nice? He specifically wanted to say he had a connection with players on the team from four years ago. He mentioned that throughout the week. He's been on WJR. He's talking about his involvement in the city. Of course, he's happy for the city of Detroit. Wants good things for him. I'm incredibly amazed just how gracious he was. With that call, it was three, four minutes left. That obvious holding penalty that would have put the position to bleed the clock down for an easy field goal to win the game. I'm it's amazed. Not, hold on, hold on. Let's get off. Dave, if you want to do this correctly, you and me, we got we to gotta start on, on flat, even territory. Forget about the game for a second. You're right. He said a lot of those things prior. He's been loving to this town. I know the guy a little bit. Played some tournaments with him. I think he's a good dude. However, you, he was given a chance, and he gave a very specific answer. So if you're a Republican and you only hang out with Republicans and you're a Democrat and you only hang out with Democrats, but then you find out that someone you know in your family who happens to think about the politics different than you just had a new baby or just got a promotion, are you happy for that person? Yeah, I don't think – and the fact he chose to, to specifically mention signal those players he has a very close connection was does not exclude other things. He wanted to point that out more so than necessarily your take on it would be to exclude. It wasn't an exclusionary I, comment. 
my take on it is there's a guy named Bob who's a pipe fitter in Westland. And he goes to his bowling league once a week and he barely gets by and he buys his kids his hockey skates and he worries every day about his life. And then every Sunday for 17 weeks in a row, he watches the Detroit Lions for 30 years and they suck. They're awful. And, and Matt Stafford comes to town and everybody roots for him and they defend him when all the critics make fun of him and mock him and he can't get them there. And he's the guy that failed in the last minute, but they root for him anyway. And then they go and put St. Louis flags up and they, they put Detroit Rams on their shirts and they watch the Super Bowl and they celebrate and they jump around like I did with popcorn flying all over my living room when he finally wins. And given the chance on a night where he knew he was going to get booed and he laughed about it, they asked him about the city of Detroit, really the state of Michigan, not about the opposing players, which are all millionaires playing a game in their 20s. And he couldn't find it in his heart to say, yeah, listen, I'm happy for you guys. I hope you go far. I'll be watching like we did for him. No, 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 no. Bob from Detroit, his gift was the game, the game result. Bob could care less as far as Matthew Stafford's remarks at the end of the game. I don't think that's true, Dave, and it's I couldn't care less, not I could care less. And I think if we're being fair, we can look at a guy like Matt Stafford and say, look, we all had your back, man, for 12 years. I think it's a fair argument to say, look, he could go back and correct that comment. He could tweet out right now from his smartphone. His, his wife, Kelly, sure has a lot to say all of the time. He could say, you know what? I goofed up there. I'm so happy for the state of Michigan. Go Lions. We put $162 million in that guy's pocket. And, yeah, he did a lot for charity. Look, I love you, man. I, Dave, you're a great call every time. I just think you got this one wrong. I think everybody should care, and I think he should care, too. Let's get, let's get out to Livonia. Dennis, what's happening, Dennis? Hey. Hey. I was listening to you. I was listening to you, and I'm thinking, well, all that stuff that's uh, been put out, no Stafford jerseys and all this stuff, and yeah. it's no wonder Kelly was so upset, you know. So I can understand more Stafford would have kind of an attitude a little bit because of all that, because like he's, he probably thinks that he did great for the city, which he did. And his wife has done great things with charity. So yeah, true. I don't, pre I don't begrudge him for not saying stuff about the city of Detroit. He was probably visually up, probably a little bit upset that, you know, oh, they were going to treat it that way, but Dennis, but, listen, but, I love that. I love your take. You're, you're, that's true. The Jersey thing I think is a little bit much, but that was not the lions doing that. It certainly wasn't the city. It was just a handful of people on Twitter. You're, you're not wrong. I just think he could be the bigger man. He's been the bigger man. He was the bigger man here yeah. for 12 years when the critics were on his back all the time. I, I know. And I, I think the guy was a great, is a great athlete. He did a lot for the city. And I'm like, I don't care that he didn't say that for the city. That's, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> because he got beat. Let's face it. He got he beat. It doesn't beat. bother me. We put the we put the nail in the coffin of the SOL. Thanks for the call, Dennis Rieger. I don't know. I think I might be in the minority on this. I might have to go home and rethink my position. Yes, a, I think you really definitely have. Why would? Why does so many people? Why do they care? You won the game. You got the playoff win. You, you've put. I, I wouldn't say SOL is dead, but you're. But you guys, you have you have SOL surrounded. SOL is SOL dead. Surrounded, and but... Matt Stafford is a sore loser. That's all I have to say. Oh, Danielle agrees with me. And she's far smarter and prettier than you. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't argue with one, with one part of it. I'll see you guys the next time someone goes on vacation.